When I give talks to students, like they all want to know about the methods and the special exercise and stuff, but that's not what's important. The important is the direction you have. And then you just you'll find the exercise. There's tons of books, yeah. but you have to you have to you have to know what the direction is, and you have to know how to steer, you know, a program. And and so the exercise themselves, yeah, they're just tools. But like with with the very basic ones, you know, with uh, well, in strength, the squats, the lifts, and 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 then um, you know, jumping over hurdles or or bounding or all that stuff. I mean, you can go, you can go pretty far. You can go pretty far with it. Actually, you can go very far with it. The the key is is just there's two keys. The first one is is how you do them. That's the most important thing. That's it's how you do them. And like the second one is you know is who you give them to. That was sports performance coach Jerome Simeon speaking on the keys to using simple training means to great training effect. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches, training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 133 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. And we have back on the podcast French physical preparation coach Jerome Simeon. Um, it wasn't too long ago Jerome was on the show. The last time he talked about emphasizing the pattern over the wonder at max, talk a little bit about extreme isos, his mentorship from Charles Poliquin and Jay Schrader, and a lot more great stuff. Uh, I wanted to get Jerome back uh, for a few reasons. One, uh, just because he's an awesome coach, I've asked him questions on social media a few times. He always gives me really helpful, insightful answers especially in unpacking some uh, questions I have about Jay Schrader's system. Secondly, uh, an athlete that Jerome works with, Kevin Mayer, recently set the decathlon world record with a score of 9,126 points, and he eclipsed uh, Ashton Eaton's old world record mark, which is just really an amazing feat. If you guys remember when Ashton Eaton, for those of us in the track world, when that guy broke the world record, it was just unreal that guy was, i mean ashton was so fast running times that uh, would have nearly got him in the the finals of some sprint flat out sprint races and uh, kevin beat his record and so 
that being done, I Jerome had written a really cool article about some of the training methods that he utilized and some of the philosophy and uh, Kevin's progression basically in under his guidance. And the article is originally in French, but you can translate it. And uh, I, some of the things we did talk about last time, we talked a little bit about, uh, for example, the snatch grip deadlift where Kevin Mayer's back was not strong enough to keep up with his legs and acceleration using slow tempo snatch grip deadlift work to solve some problems and some issues. Uh, and uh, Jerome is going to take us on a deeper dive this time into the ins and outs of that program that helped Kevin to go from a great athlete to a world record holding athlete, overcoming a lot of obstacles along the way. Um, one thing though that, that really stood out was the fact that uh, in the course of Kevin Mayer's training, there was a significant chunk of time where weightlifting was no longer emphasized. There was no longer barbell squats and deadlifts in the program, at least nothing that was heavy whatsoever. Jerome had decided that Kevin was uh, at a point where he just didn't need that anymore, and they did not use that type of resistance training for a good long while. And I think that's such a wonderful story. And th that, again, that was actually, if you could say that was the third reason I wanted to get Jerome back, that was the third, because I wanted to dig into why and how he knew it was the right time to do that, because that worked. <laughs> I think a lot of times those of us who are in the sports performance profession, we would say, oh, like, or, you know, I guess you could say strength and conditioning, right? There's a lot of names for it, but would say, oh, well, we always need to be lifting weights heavy. We always need to be doing these things because that's an important part of the program and vertical integration and, and all these. But at the same time, um, there's sometimes we always have to be looking at the state of the athlete and how different training tools and factors are having an impact on the final result. And Jerome, such an intuitive coach, knowledgeable, and a decision that no doubt paid off. So the ins, uh, again, this episode we're going to get into is very much on Jerome's training of Kevin Mayer, but also some more ideas with in terms of how he approaches the basic barbell strength training. Uh, we're going to get a little bit more information building on last time in terms of extreme isometrics. Uh, the reasons, again, why Jerome decided to stop doing any significant barbell lifting. Uh, and then we are also going to talk about why exercise selection is not nearly as important as um, how you do it, what you're doing, as you heard Jerome talk about a little bit in the teaser. So again, Jerome, a brilliant coach. I am thrilled to have him on a second time. And so with that said, let's get on to episode 133 with French physical prep coach Jerome Simeon. Yeah. How old are you? How old are you? You have a two-year-old and then uh, do you have any other children? Eight-year-old. Two-year-old and eight-year-old. Oh, yeah. So you got to uh, – are they uh, Are they going to be athletes, you think? I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to – I think the little one might be. She's, she's athletic, the little one. <laughs> um, the, the big one, he's just uh, – he's got interest in everything. He's, uh, you know, uh, but we – well, I tried soccer for a year. didn't like it much. Uh, I keep him at, uh, at judo, you know. Wanted to, I wanted to put him in gymnastics at first, and then he um, he wanted to absolutely play soccer. It was at the same time, so we couldn't you know do both. So uh, so now you only want to do one sport this year. So we do one sport, but we do training. Like uh, I said, okay, we do one sport, but we do training. So we do uh, you know we have to we have to run, we have to run, throw, jump, and climb. <laughs> yeah, climbing. Yeah. yeah, and climb and climb with something you know. So we do that, in the, you know, around the house and stuff, and you know, 
running could be anything like we could do like hill sprints we'll chase him or we'll do uh uh i, I was chasing him around the yard or even, you know timing around the house uh, climbing and just pick him up and then, you know he hangs from a tree and just try to move in the tree hang in uh, and throwing is anything from you know a ball a baseball a football a rugby ball a medicine balls whatever you know just to keep it fun you know we do we hop and stuff and do you know stuff like this so that would make it keep it fun you know? yeah do you feel like yeah do you feel like working with like the high level competition athletes actually kind of helps you when you hit with, with kids you know it's like okay let's let's just keep this fun and you know not trying to be i'm sure you've probably seen uh, do you i mean do you train youth athletes in your facility or anything like that uh, i've had a few uh this year not so much i had a like i had a few tennis young tennis players now there's an academy that opened up where they're all centered in there so i kind of you know they kind of went there so they don't really have time anymore to come these guys but um yeah i've had a few so yes you have to it's different, you know. For a ten-year-old, you can't do the same things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I wonder. I mean, I know in America we have a lot of parents who are just like way over the top, like with their kids and sports and stuff like that. Like, is it is it similar in France, or is things a little bit more like? Uh, um, no, it's not as crazy because we don't have the scholarship system. Ah. Right, we don't have that. So, so um, it gets a little crazy in soccer. Uh, because the kids, when they're 10, 11, 12, they get into uh, pro teams, um, kind of like farm, you know, farm yeah, yeah. teams, farm schools, where they, they you know, if, if they've been good at 10, 12, then they get into that system. And um, and eventually, like one out of, I don't know, I think one out of 20 ends up uh, signing a pro contract in the end. But so it, in, in soccer, it does get a little crazy that way. Uh, so they... But kids are just basically play soccer. That's all they do, you know. Yeah. Uh, but for most, most of the sports, no, it's it's not like this. I see. Yeah. I mean, there's always one sport, I guess, right? But um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I never really thought this. Uh, um, stop to think about how the culture and 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 the you know the scholarship that that carrot at the end of the rope, to, so to speak, could really drive. I mean, you know, yeah. here it's just like you know, tons of travel <laughs> teams and all that stuff. It's a huge difference. Um, it's it's a huge difference now. The pro sports are soccer, rugby, uh, basketball, pretty much. That's that's pretty much the pro sports. Now the other one you can be pro at, but you know you don't. When you're a kid, it's not there's not so much exposure. You don't you know you kind of fall into them rather than. Uh, uh, then say, then the parent can say, all right, well, there's, I guess there's tennis too also. Oh, tennis is pretty crazy. <laughs> you know, tennis crazy. Like the kids, oh, like eight, ten-year-olds, they have like, like they're 11 years old, they don't go to school anymore. Like they do school at home, you know, because because they can't, you know, the schedule's not, they can't handle the schedule. That's pretty crazy, yeah, and it costs a ton, ton of money for parents. Yeah, tennis is pretty crazy. I thought about this one. <laughs> yeah, tennis. Yeah, I was trying to think. I mean, obviously, soccer is, is big in entry, every country, right? But like tennis, who's who's the number? I know Gail Monfils is like you know he's like the the Michael Jordan athlete of tennis, you know. But like, uh, is there any other players that people look up to? Oh, no. 
I wouldn't put him up with Michael Jordan after that, but uh, athletically, like in terms of his um, you know, jumping and running and highlight ability, I was, uh, I mean, right, right, right. In tennis, uh, well, we had this generation, um, this Montfils, it's Songa. Now we got another one called Pui. You know, they they've been top ten and then uh, you know in and out and stuff. Gotcha. Oh, that's that's really interesting though. It's just yeah, I'm always I'm I'm always stuck in America. I don't really experience too much other, you know, sport cultures. So it's always it's always cool to ask those questions and kind of see, um, you know, just what's going on over there. But uh, yeah, in terms of questions, I wanted to ask you today. I know, uh, obviously, Kevin Mayer just uh, broke the decathlon world record. Um, I actually put something about it on my site with like the numbers and how that broke down, like where he his scores was and Ashton Eaton and, and those things. Um, and I know you just wrote a really cool article on the whole thing, uh, which I'll put in the show notes, but, um, could you just share a little bit about Kevin's journey under you from a, from a strength perspective, first from just as like a strength perspective, um, as well as uh, resiliency, like, like balancing the body and injury prevention that helped him on his way. Oh, yeah. Which is, which is not separate. I mean, to me, it's not separate. Um, okay. So I started to, uh, to work with Kevin uh, late, very late 2013. Um, the reason why, again, is because uh, Romain Barras, who was the European champion, uh, came see me a year before, because he, he, he had a very long and a hard time with um, uh, osteoidite, uh, osteo, sorry, osteoidite and uh, inflammation around, you know, the, the doctor regions for three years. He had a surgery and, and, and nothing was going well. So I worked and, and you know, brought him back. He, uh, he scored 8,000 points several times after this. Um, so that kind of, you know, intrigued uh, Kevin's staff. And Kevin had problems. He had um, a bum ankle and chronic back pain, like, you know, sometimes quite severe. Um, so I started working, uh, in 2013 and then 2014, I just started being 2014 handling everything that was not track, you know, the thing that was, so the strength and conditioning per se. Um, so I guess the first order for him was to, to solve those problems, right? So solve those problems. Um, so, you know, the. They concentrated a lot on his spine, but as you know, it wasn't the problem. That's why he wasn't getting any results. So um, I shift the, um, the focus into his hips. Um, so he had um, on the on the left, oh, sorry, on the right side, his hip his hip extensors were were just not giving any way to flexion at all. Uh, so that would uh, so anytime I had to do flexion, then the, the spine would go in flexion. So we had to fix this. We had to fix this. And then uh, we had to fix his ankle too at the same time. So it's it's the basic progression. Um, in the article, I talk about uh, trying to have him do a Romanian deadlift properly. So it started with an empty bar. <laughs> uh, just just try to have him not fight himself when he's doing a, you know, any kind of motion. It's just, his muscles were fighting each other. So we had problems. So it's, it's it's more it's more a coordination problem, and uh, onto which you can tax strength later to make it permanent. Uh, but but we started with that. 
Yeah, I know you had said it was like, um, and I, and I, first off, I love what you said there is the strength and the resiliency or the balance of the body are not, you know, they're not separate. It's, it's all the same thing. And uh, so I really actually appreciate you saying that. And uh, also you had mentioned the, like when you were getting him to do an RDL properly, not fighting himself. Uh, can you dive in a little bit? I know you were talking about like an isometric RDL in the, or, or isometric hold in the article a little bit. Uh, what kind of things were you looking for in teaching him not to fight himself? Like, like turning the one muscle on, like it, like turning, um, one muscle on while relaxing the one on the other side, like kind of that, that, um, extreme isometric right. type thing. Yeah. Um, well, when you, uh, the thing is when you get down the RDL, what you, what you think is, is that you're going to resist with, uh, two things with your, your spine extensors and also your, uh, your hip extensors, right? Uh, so it's, we think of that as the eccentric portion of it. Now, the thing is, there's a role. Um, if, you, if you go to a muscle that doesn't want to relax in the eccentric, right, there's a role for the opposite muscle, uh, for the hip flexors, okay, to set you in the proper position. And, and, and so the, there's always antagonistic control. Um, what, what we learn with the... Um, the uh, the, I think it's the Sheraton reflex, right? The inhibition reflex, like when the muscle contracts, the antagonist uh, relaxes. Well, it's not that simple. You know, it doesn't work. The way actually I know it's, it's, it doesn't work that way, it's because trying one of J Jay Schroeder's workout a long time ago, <laughs> <laughs> I did something really stupid. <laughs> We're not information and uh, I, I trapped my radial nerve all right I trapped my radial nerve uh, and um, and so I couldn't extend my wrist anymore nor my fingers on my on my on my right hand and um, so but the thing that I noticed is 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 when I would try to grab something so with my fingers what would happen is that if I grab something in my fingers, my whole wrist would curl. <laughs> the fingers and the wrist would curl. And I couldn't control it. And and it made me understand that whatever you do, because you're thinking, yeah, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna see something in my fingers, it's a finger flexion, right? So all the extensors should be relaxing. Well, if they relax too much, which was the case because it had no nerve impulse to them, everything curls. Right? So that's how I knew. I was like, man, there's really like a control, like there's a constant control around the joints all the time. There's no, there's no time where the, you know, the muscle actually completely relaxed, the antagonist completely relaxed. So it's, it's that game around, you know, around the joint that you have to retrain. Sometimes you have to retrain and you have to retrain that in, in his, in his hips. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, that was that was something that I was. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, and I, I also think like you know, I, the I did the J Schrader workout and did something stupid, or like you know, like those are extreme workouts. Like, what was you were you doing rebound arm curls for two minutes, or like or five minutes, or something, or what? <laughs> no, it was it was a it was a straight arm dips. So, uh, it was because it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know how to do it. But it, now, 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 I know yeah, how yeah. to do it. But it was, I think it was, a, it was a straight arm, uh, iso extreme dip, but straight arm. 
Yeah, I know if the hand if the the hand position isn't right, some athletes really don't like that. Does that really can be a little uncomfortable over time? <laughs> that's a that's a I rough got, one. Yeah, so I kind of pushed it, and uh, and, and then I couldn't like, couldn't move my hand anymore. I was like, what is it? Took me three weeks to recover. From that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's when you learn, though, right? Like it's always those injuries that are just such learning potential. Yeah. I I yeah. So that's interesting that you mentioned that because like I would typically think. And, and does this deviate this at all? But like the idea of, okay, if I'm going to squat, I'm going to pull with my hamstrings on the way down. Or if I do a RDL, I'm going to pull with my hip flexors on the way down. Cause it, like, you just do with you when you squat, you what you want to pull your hip flexors when you squat too. Okay. So hip flexors. So it is like the same thing, but, but the joint control is more complicated on, on that level of this than just, cause that's, cause that's always like what I'm thinking about. Uh, like when I'm squatting, I'm trying to pull, well, usually with my hamstrings, I should think about my hip flexors more. Um, but, but I'm kind of like, you know, it can't be just only one muscle on and one muscle off. This is a complex movement. Like there's a lot more going on to promote the joint stability. Right, right, right. So that's why normally you shouldn't be thinking about that at all. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in like the isometrics, like when you're first training or when you were first getting Kevin to do the RDL properly, you know, with that four right. or five pounds, it's, it's getting him to activate hip flexors and. Uh, to elongate his um like well the, you don't teach it like this like we talk we talk about it this way right but that's not the way you teach it right uh, the way you teach it is, is different depending on what you have in front of you but um you know uh i guess for him uh, like one way with the rdl what i do is i'll pinch the skin on um on the lumbar spine right and I'll say, well, I'll keep going down, and then the skin cannot get out of my fingers. I keep a very loose pinch and say, no, the skin cannot get out. And then that teaches him how to, you know, to get into the proper position, which, you know, so you don't, you don't tell him. I don't, I don't like telling him pull with this, think about a muscle or anything, you know, because uh, most athletes think uh, uh, they have a final intention, right? And, and like for a squat, for example, you know, when you come up, you just lift the bar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like often, even if you say push the ground, that's going to get something wrong. You know? Interesting. So it, it, it depends. It, it depends on the athlete. Some people are more, um, it's just like for the throws. Some people feel the implement more and some people feel their bodies more, you know? But uh, all in all, um, you have to, the intention has to be tied to the end, right? So that's what you, you don't, you don't teach it saying, all right, well, now you got, you want to activate your hip flexors. They don't know where it is anyway. <laughs> right? What's a hip flexor? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so for us, we, we can make that intellectual leap. And, and even then when you do it ourselves, it just, uh, we end up with worse performance in general. We're better off not, you know, better off shutting that off and 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 having a the intentions that's a little more pure. I would say. Yeah, and it's what you're just saying makes me actually think. Yesterday was literally the first time I used this, um, but at work, um, my boss had a one of those things you put on your back. I think Paul check. I've seen this with Paul check stuff. You put it under your low back. It's like one of the little air pressure things that you can right. and. And the goal was not like, because I think a lot of times when you do like abdominal training, like a dead bug or like on the ground, we say just mash your low back into the ground as hard as you can or something like that. 
but that's mm-hmm. not athletic. That's just doing something as hard as you can. You know, it's like, whereas when you have the, the little pressure on your back, you try to keep it at 40 um, millimeters of mercury pressure. And, and it's right. like a balancing act. It's uh so it, it, it lets you be a little bit of an athlete with the feedback. Right. External cues versus internal cues. Okay. So you can have some amount of internal cues, I think. Uh, all right. It, it's always a position and an intent because you can't have much more when it goes full speed, you can't have much more. So I think you can have internal cues with a, with a position, right? A starting position, but that with the intent, it's external cues work better in my experience. So like the, like the extreme ISOs, like in an isometric position, that's where the cueing can happen. Like feel this muscle, feel this muscle. But once you actually have to move, then it has to shift to something a little more dynamic. Yeah. You know what? Extreme ISO is supposed to be movement. Really? Yeah. If you don't, if there's no movement in extreme ISO, then don't do them right. Interesting. Or like a, like a super slow travel, like downwards is kind of what you're saying. Like, like pulling into the, like slowly pulling into the, the bottom of the movement, so to speak. Right. Right. You don't see it because you're in an extreme range, but I, I see it when people do it. I see it because I've seen it so much. Yeah. But, but um, you know, someone, someone lambda, you know, ex was looking at it and was like, "Oh no, it's not moving." <laughs> hence, the, you know, hence the whole confusion about this. Yeah, and that's what I think. That's too where, um, like, I, I've and I've talked with some other people in that J Schrader realm, and I feel like in in many cases, a lot of it does kind of come back to the ISOs and, but they're not really, like you said, they're not really ISOs. Cause like the muscles are either contracting really fast or there's a, like a subtle pulling or subtle motor control to it. It's not just doing a wall sit. Like it's not just sitting there and, and just well, fighting the wall. Yeah. It's not subtle at all either. It's supposed to be full tail. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an interesting way of putting it too. I, I mean, I think, I think I kind of knew that, but I don't, I never thought about it in those terms. So actually that, that was, that's helpful. It makes it more alive too. those exercises, like more cause, cause the worst is when an athlete just does it and they just kind of, you could tell they're just hanging out. Like they're just like, okay, how much time's left? Like, yeah, yeah. no, that's the worst thing. Yeah. The, the time. The, yeah. It's not, it's not, um, yeah, the time is a problem. It's because people just try to do as little as they can to, to, uh, withstand the time and say, Oh yeah, I did. You know, I did two minutes, I did three minutes, I did five minutes, but that's, you know, that's not what's important. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, doing it, doing it properly for sure. Uh, now to, to me, I'm, what I tell him is I say, um, um, I say, well, listen, you know, the five minutes is the amount of work you do, but that's not the quality of the work you do. It's just like, if I give you, you know, I give you three times, uh, three times, three times, 30 meters. Right, sprint. You're not gonna loaf on the first set because you want to get through. No, you know it's speed. You know you gotta go all out. So that's the same. All right, um. So when you when you were um, you mentioned you were doing like the ISO dip stuff. When you were getting introduced to all that work with Jay, I mean, did you do the workouts under under him, or did did you get the workouts from him and do them all yourself and kind of learn through that way? How, what was your learning process? Big learning process in that. No, with Jay, I had the. I was lucky enough to see him at regular intervals. Um, 
And it's just through discussion, you would tell me stuff, and then, and then I'd, I'd try them out, and then I guess you'd see that it worked on them, so they'd tell me something else. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's good. Um, so, but no, I, you know, some, yeah, I remember sending him some few videos of me doing exercises and, and well, getting shut down every time before. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and Dan Victor, you and Dan Victor both. <laughs> except, except, you know, Jay, Jay never, never yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We should get a little yeah. bit. We should get a little round table someday with all you know, all the people, the disciples, and people have learned from him and, and had those experiences. It'd be fun. So uh, once uh, once Kevin, you kind of got him a little bit more, his body a little bit more balanced, and be able to do that, his spine healthy. Um, what was your approach to to strength development with him? You know, I mean, most people would say, "Oh, yeah, what did he squat?" Like, you know, the, the typical questions, right? But like, at once you got him, once you got him functional in the RDL, got his spine working a little bit better. What were some big things you were trying to do with him at that point? Well, um, what he was lacking in uh, acceleration capabilities. That's that's where he was lacking. Um, he was, you know, he he was more. Uh, it was more a kangaroo than a, than a racehorse, right? So we had a we had a his start was was not very good. So and his start was not very good because he could not um, keep the low position, you know. So he wouldn't accelerate long enough, and simply because his spine wasn't couldn't match the strength of his legs, um, which had been a which had been a had been a problem because you know obviously his his, uh, his low back was hurting all the time, so he, he couldn't put any strength in there. So once that that was, you know, um, we started with you know variation of the deadlifts, you know, the all the variation I learned from um, from Charles from Pelican um, were particularly suited. So you know the, the snatch deadlifts and snatch grip deadlifts and all that stuff. Um, so his spine. Could uh, withhold um, that low position with you know very high hip extension force. So and pretty much uh, right off the bat, starting to you know run faster. Um, I'd say that lasted about two years before we we had a. a I could say well you know now that's probably enough. We can do something else. You know also. Yeah. I know. I know. Last time, yeah, you were talking about how that snatch grip deadlift with the slower tempo you're using to fix that that start. And yeah, that's. I, I love how you said he was more of a kangaroo than a racehorse when you got when you got him. And the idea of that he was like it's almost like he was too. He was so elastic he he couldn't stay squatted to accelerate. Um, well, it, I mean, now it's the, he was elastic, but he wasn't Ashton Eden elastic either. Yeah. No, uh, you know he was uh, he was eleven. He had 11, 11.10 runner mm-hmm. max, you know, but in, in 2013 in Moscow, he ran 11.20 something, right? So um, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's not, it's not Damien Warner, it, it's not Ashton Eaton Elastic, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, but within that amount of power he had, he was more elastic than, you know, than, than powerful, I would say. 
Yeah. Was that um was the snatch group deadlift if it more of like the big like a bigger go to movement versus I mean I'm sure you guys did some squatting as well. I think I've 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 seen that. Yeah. But was with his back in mind, was there anything that you were like preferring over time as kind of a go to lift for him? Um we, we do alternate the uh the deadlift and variations in the, in the squat variations because the squat is good because after a while his ankle's been fixed uh, getting some new range in the ankle new range in his hip then he could squat you know um, ATG <laughs> and uh, and that's good uh, that was good because that keeps his uh, his hips loose you know yeah so so we, we never go away very far from it, it always comes back um because because it keeps you know it keeps his um also he's he, he's always had a knee problem um and uh, it's a right knee problem and that helps his knee also that helps his knee to be able to to keep the ability to really go all the way down now you know, he does uh he does atg squats like barefoot now you know so it's it's a good way well, i mean you you can see it on if you follow him on uh social media he posts enough pictures of, <laughs> yeah. of, of his workout so you can you, you can see that so um so we alternate and, and it depends like sometimes now um sometimes it's the spine sometimes it's the legs you know so if you want if you want the spine to be more stressed you do deadlift variation if you want the legs to be more stressed you do squat variation even though both of them you know stress both but okay but in uh, in the case of the the start, I liked for him. I'm saying for him, I liked the deadlift um, because you know you push with your legs, and if you don't hold your back, it's going round, right? And yeah. that is just you you don't know. I, I don't let him do that. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. That's that's a really interesting way of looking at. It. I I feel like for me, it would almost be. Um, yeah, because for some athletes, it could be the opposite. Like I'm thinking of myself right now, or I'm thinking of uh, athletes who have perfectly fine postural issues. Their legs just aren't that strong. And maybe for them, a squat would be more applicable yeah, versus, I mean, maybe do both. But um, there, so there would be athletes who would have a preference to one or the other based off of whatever their, their needs were. Um, yeah, usually your preference for... Uh shows the, your weakness <laughs> if yeah. you prefer a squat you probably you probably should do more deadlifts <laughs> <laughs> often that's the way it is you know if if your sport is not powerlifting if, if you do another sport right yes some training right yeah so that's actually something that i meant to to ask you about and because i think you had said this in the article and, and i bounced a few messages off of you and and this was something that too that I was thinking a lot about in the you know reading like the the DB Hammer book the Inno Sport books so it talks about like frictional is the athlete more frictional or elastic and you had said that Kevin was at a point where he was getting too like he was using too much like muscular effort too much like cross bridge or too much frictional um, elements in his movement and you had decided basically you guys just stopped lifting for a period of time. Um, yes. It, I don't know. I could say he was using too much frictional. Um, it's it, it's just that I, you know I saw that his um, his speed could be now for he had enough uh, acceleration capacities that uh, enhancing the second part, you know, 
more the rebounding part of the of the sprints could bring in more gains, right? We could concentrate on that a little bit. Um, so um, so from uh, yeah the whole fall up until March, yeah, no squats. I mean we we did we kept some uh, we kept very light squats just to to keep his uh, his um, his range. Yeah. Right. But yeah, no, no, I was, uh, I didn't lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't lie to you. There's no, yeah, no, no squatting, no, no, yeah, no squatting, no deadlifting, nothing of that kind. Not much barbell work at all. Um, the whole from October to March. Wow. That's, I, yeah. you know, what I like that is like, you're like, I don't, I don't like to, but I like, it's like, I don't like to, but I, I think that just demonstrates such like the blend of experience and, and maturity as a strength coach, you know, you having the strength side of things, because I think it's so easy if, if, you know, if your job isn't on the track, it's like, well, I, it's so easy just to say, well, what, what's another way to add, you know, to, to keep boosting a lift in here or to find a lift to get better at in, in, in here. So I have much respect to being able to, to decide to do that. I, what, what, I mean, was there like a big thing that it, was it just that his second half of his hundred wasn't as good as it could be? Was that like the big thing that was like, I'm going to pull these for a while or just to, what, what was like the really big, like impetus that made you really decide to, to do that? Yeah, that's what it was. It's the, um, I was like, I think, at, you know, for now we've tapped out on, uh, on what we can, um, yeah, I'll come back later. But we stopped telling what we can on acceleration phase, uh, and that didn't hurt his acceleration phase at all because he he runs six eighty five in March, um, and six eighty five with a with a point two twenty, so it's more like a seventy eight I would say right, six seventy eight knowing that uh, in the in the same race David Warner ran seventy five, wow and David Warner fast yeah like, <laughs> for for the casting. You know, he's really fast. So that's, um, so, so that didn't hurt his, his, you know, acceleration. It didn't hurt his 60 meters. So I think uh, um, I felt, no, I didn't think I was taking risk. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> I didn't think I was taking risk um, because there's just so many ways to enhance power. It's not just lifting weights, you know. But, uh, I, I talk about that in another article, in an interview uh, that I did recently, and um, it's it's the concept of, of net force, and and I got that from Charlie Francis. You know, it's like saying you know if you're produ- if you're uh, producing like uh, 300 pounds one way, but then you're resisting uh, 175 pounds one way, well you're better off, you know, you're better off uh, producing only 200 pounds one way and zero the other way, right? Okay, and um, so that's also one way to enhance, you know, power. Not just uh, that's. And it, again, I wrote that in the in one of the strength density article, um, saying that like if you want to lift and be good for sports, you, you you have to have a healthy disregard for the amount of weight that's on the bar. Interesting. I couldn't agree with that more. By the way, <laughs> I I love that yeah. statement. Yeah, it has to be, you know, what the weight on the bar is is, is good relative, is important relatively, 
I mean, you know, if you do the same thing and the weight increases, that, that's a good thing. But to think that you have to lift that much to be able to run that fast, throw that far, it's just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong, and and um, all the all the studies that have been done, what they actually show is that the higher the the athlete's qualification, okay, the 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 weaker the correlation is between general exercise and the specific performance. Uh, and if you read the Bondarchuk, uh, you can see that. All the, all the tables, you see that just correlations get really weak the better the athlete gets. Uh, recently, uh, J.B. Morin, another French guy, so I should say J.B. Morin, <laughs> who uh, uh, they studied uh, vertical jump power and, um, and sprinting power. And they say, well, you know what? The better the athletes, the weaker the correlation. The faster the athlete, the the faster the athlete, the weaker the correlation is too. Um, and it's it's just a trend. I mean, it's just it's just the truth about sport. So, yes, kids. You know what? At 12 years old, it's the same kid that run that wins the sprints. You know, he wins also the throws, the jumps, and also the the cross country races. You know, sure. But as you get older and more specialized, that just goes out not the window right yeah i one of the things i was going to say and i think this is something that i mean i've i've found this to be a little bit of a struggle and as well as just kind of you know learning enough myself just to take the leap when you need to in terms of of not emphasizing the maximal strength anymore or even almost completely eliminating it but what was uh, i think a lot of athletes who have gotten some success because they when they got stronger in the right pattern they saw some transfer early on and they created a mental anchor around it. How did how did Kevin deal with saying, "Hey, we're not going to do this lifting for that that period of time"? Was he fine with that? Oh, Kevin doesn't care. <laughs> um, no, he doesn't care. He, uh, all he wants is, is is be better. And and um, so you know when he he does a week of it, right? The thing is, we have very short cycles that are about ten days. So he, he very quickly gets into a, you know, kind of a rested state and he gets back on the track. He's like, man, I'm fast. <laughs> so he's happy, right? Yeah. So, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, it, it, this is working for me, right? So he, he knows that right away. So that's not, that's not very hard for him. So he, all, he, all he wants, he doesn't care about lifting a ton. He yeah. doesn't care. He just, um, and... And it's also kind of my reputation, like, uh, you know, I would say you want to be, you know, you want to be strong or you want to lift heavy weights because it's not necessarily the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm be strong for your sport. And, and I was thinking you had said, I was trying to unpack what you said about like, you're pulling 300 in one direction, but 170 in the other. And it's better just to go with less max output, but you don't have the brakes on. Um, right. Are you kind of talking like like the max strength being a poison, but a medicine a little bit? Like it's a medicine, like you have more force, but you also have the brakes on. You have more co-contractions and muscles on when they shouldn't the, be type thing. It's not the strength. It's not the quality itself. It's just it's what you do to get it. Because the, the thing is what you do to get it. Adaptation is driven by what you do, about what impacts you the most. 
So if you push one exercise very far, you're going to get adaptation to that exercise. But that's not necessarily what you want. Right. So at first, at first, you'll, and you know, that's one reason uh, smart guys like, like Polican, for example, he changes exercise very often. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> right. There's a reason for this is because, you know, uh, you're going to adapt to that exercise. And, and, and so you're going to change your, your length and tension relationships. You're going to change plenty of things. Right. Um, the, the way you do, like a max grip, you're going to start becoming a grinder rather, you know, and that ties into all the DB hammer stuff. So if you push something very far and whatever, maybe, maybe also uh, on the other side of, of, um, of just doing plow matrix and nothing else, for example, that too, you are going to get those adaptation. So if you push it too far with a lot of intensity, that's what you're going to adapt to. But is it is it your sport? Like you know, is squatting your sport? Yeah, I mean, you don't give you don't give medals for squatting. You know, uh, powerlifting they do, but it's not Olympic sport. But um, you know, even in Olympic lifting, they don't give medals for squatting. So. Yeah, no, I, I I like that, and you mentioned that with Poliquin, and I, it makes me think. Yeah, and you mentioned Bonderchuk too, and one of the things that I've just been thinking more and more about with the the Bonderchuk's like complex system, or is typical the typical cycle Bonderchuk is known for is once an athlete um, adapts, uh, all the exercises change every single one, and I was like, you know, that's probably a good way, uh, not only just to for him to be able to kind of. Uh, form an intuitive decision around which thing was good in the program, but also just to not get the athlete too attached to anything. Like, it's like, just so you know, this is all going to change in, you know, two months or something like that, or three months. And don't, that way you can't ride any, anything that's not the actual exercise. And he even had different forms of that, but you can't ride any of that too far and get too attached to that, that max or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I like that way of doing it, that way of thinking. Um, I know, uh, so just a couple more things I wanted to ask you before our time's up. Uh, one was um, some of the other Jay Strader methods outside the, the ISOs. Oh, and two, like, well, actually, now I think about it. When you, so when you were going away from, you know, the strength work with Kevin, uh, so what were, what were some of the things you were going to focus on instead, like a lot of the reflexive firing movements and, and those types of things or, or just fast, elastic work? Yeah, lots of... Uh... Lots of bouncing in and out of different positions, you know. Um, it's the, the basis is you bounce out in and out of a position and then you tailor the position to what the athlete needs in terms of, you know, you could say joint or muscle needs, right? So um, with also with also some drops and uh, things that are high forces short amount of time, you know. Yeah, just a good yeah, just a good elastic contrast with that. A lot like I guess a lot of what you typically would think of with the J straight are like kinda of like Russian lunges type things and or altitude yeah, things, drops. Things that yeah, things of that matter. Uh, that uh yeah, things like this. You can uh um I don't know, we did uh we did some drops, we did some uh oh, you know, it's simple, it's just like, you know, bounding over hurdles. That's, yeah. that's just simple. It comes back often. And you know why? There's no reason why we shouldn't do it because it's not sexy. Well, no, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing that's like crazy, like the secret the secret training compound type stuff that nobody yeah. knows about. <laughs> no, you know, there's no secrets really. I mean, it's just that 
when I give talks to students, like they all want to know about the methods and the special exercise and stuff, but that's not what's important. The important is the direction you have. And then you just you'll find the exercise. There's tons of books, yeah. but you have to you have to you have to know what the direction is, and you have to know how to steer, you know, a program. And and so the exercise themselves, yeah, they're just tools. But like with with the very basic ones, you know, with uh, well, in strength of the squats, the lifts, and 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 then um, you know, jumping over hurdles or or bounding or all that stuff. I mean, you can go, you can go pretty far. You can go pretty far with it. Actually, you can go very far with it. The the key is is just there's two keys. The first one is is how you do them. That's the most important thing. That's it's how you do them. And like the second one is you know is who you give them to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right on. No, it's yeah. I feel like once you know principles, it almost like you can almost take any movement and and make it good, like and make it and steer it to the right direction. It's not about finding every last exercise. <laughs> right. So, well, it's great. Uh, you know, I was gonna get in a little bit of other like some of the other like Jay Strader methods, and but you know what? Maybe I'll leave that question for another time. I know you got a you had an early afternoon. Like you're in the you're in the private sector and you're off early, and I'm and I'm here you know keeping you and and so. Uh, you know, I think this is actually that that uh, wraps up like a great um, circle around, you know, what Kevin was doing, what you're doing with him and some things. And I think it would um, uh great for this episode. So I'll let you go, Jerome. Um, but man, it's just a great learning opportunity for me. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. It was fun. Well, that does it for episode 133. Awesome to talk to Jerome again. And thanks, guys, for tuning in. Don't forget, visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They have the best of in each category. Freelap, gym aware, uh, power dot, muscle stimulators, force plates, uh, just a one-stop shop for your sport tech needs. And they also have a great blog. Also, if you enjoyed the show, don't hesitate. Leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to the show on. And finally, I didn't mention the pre-roll, but again, my book, new book, Speed Strength, is out. It is on JustFlySports.com. So head on over there to grab a copy. The social media feedback has been awesome so far. Uh, a lot of people who have really been liking the book. And so, yeah, I hope you can get a chance to get your copy as well. We will get, see you guys back next week with another great guest.